Now here we are in the book of Philemon, continuing today our series on what is the church. Uh, We've invited you and challenged you over the last few weeks to expect more from the church because God has some profound and incredible blessings that he wants to give you through his design for the church. And if we settle for a surface level engagement with the church, then we'll miss out on so many of these wonderful, astounding blessings. And so I've been challenging you over the last few weeks to expect more. And today we'll be expecting more from one another as we think about the true meaning of fellowship. And we're going to do this by looking at one verse together, Philemon, verse 6. There's only one chapter in the book of Philemon. And so verse 6 of that glorious chapter, Paul says, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this word. Pray that we would treasure it with every fiber of our being. I pray that as we just look at one verse today, that you would help us to wring this verse dry and soak up all of the wonderful glories of your risen Son that we can find here. God, we thank you for your design for the church. We thank you for this opportunity to gather and pray that it would bear much fruit as we sit under the preaching of your word now. It's for your name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've ever been sick and gone to see a doctor who, who you look to for help and healing, and the doctor responds with doubt and skepticism and say, is it really that bad? The, pe- the person that we're looking to for healing sometimes responds with doubt about our need and our validity as sick people in need of help. And that's so incredibly frustrating because in those moments we recognize, maybe even more than any other moment, that we really do need help. We recognize sometimes that we can't get better on our own, and that's why we go to the doctor to begin with, because we need help. But friends, we need to remember that we are not just physically sick, but that we are also plagued with a deep spiritual sickness. We are stained and sick and diseased and depraved by sin. And when we're honest with ourselves, we know that there's absolutely nothing we can do to heal ourselves. And just like we go to the doctor when we're sick and we need medicine or need care, God has invited us to come to Him when we need help. Because we are needy, helpless people and we need His help. And God is our gracious helper, friends. Not like an unbelieving doctor. He does not turn his nose up at you and say, is it really that bad? Like an impatient parent, he doesn't, he doesn't um, wring his fists at you and say, come on, just get it together. Like an unsympathetic boss, he doesn't just raise his voice and yell, why haven't you figured this out yet? No, he's a sympathetic helper. He's kind and merciful. 
God has helped us address our sin by giving us the gift of his son who died for our sins to pay the penalty and rose victoriously so that we could be raised to endless life. God has helped us in our sin sickness by giving us the gift of his spirit who lives inside of us to empower you and strengthen you to fight sin. Not to get better on your own strength and on your own time, but to get better with his strength and his power. And God has helped you, not just in the gift of his son and not just in the gift of his spirit, but God has helped you in the gift of his church. God has uniquely designed and gathered the church together because we need help. We need help. God has given you the church not just so that you would have a better friend group that would be a better influence on your life, but rather to bring you into a family that will give their lives to helping you grow, to helping you slay sin, to helping you follow after Christ. And you see how God's grace is the foundation of all of this, friends. We don't earn our way into God's family, and we don't earn our way into God's favor. This is all grace. And so God is inviting you today to receive help and to grow, not to earn his love, but because he's driving the sin out of your heart that steals your joy. God is coming as a healing helper to set you free. And so today, friends, I want to invite you to expect more from others. Your view of the church is way too small. Our view of the church is way too small. We need one another, not just to help us feel better on Sunday mornings, but to help us follow Christ. And that's the main idea I want you to take home today. Christians help one another follow Christ. Christians help one another follow Christ. And we'll be unpacking together the true meaning of Fellowship, the true meaning of Christians gathering together. And we're going to see that in three parts. We're going to see the grounds of fellowship. Why is it that we're even able to gather as a church? We're going to see the goal of fellowship. What's the end to which we're striving together as we fellowship? And finally, the glory of fellowship. How all of this is uniquely designed not only for our good, but also for the glory of the risen Christ the grounds, goal, and glory of fellowship. So first, the grounds of fellowship. The church is able to have fellowship. The church is able to have community, not because of our shared affinities or our shared demographics, but because of our shared faith in Christ. So we come here today to the letter of Paul to Philemon. It's a letter that's often overlooked in our New Testament. And so maybe just picking out a verse right out of the middle might not be the most helpful thing for some of you because you have no idea who Philemon is. Well, the Apostle Paul was a leader in the early church and he was an evangelist and a missionary. He traveled all over the known world preaching the good news of Christ. And in his travels, he met a man named named Philemon who was a wealthy business owner in the city of Colossae 
who Paul wrote his letter to the Colossians to. And this man Philemon hears the word of Christ from the lips of the Apostle Paul, and he becomes a Christian. He becomes a follower of Christ. And he goes back to his home in Colossae, and he starts, he joins the church there. And he starts serving Christ there. And he's a wealthy man, and he had slaves. He had servants. And one of his servants ran away from him at one point, and that servant's name was Onesimus. Onesimus ran away from his owner, Philemon. And as some would call it luck would have it, that runaway servant, Onesimus, meets the same Apostle Paul who led his former employer, Philemon, to Christ years earlier. And as Paul preaches the word of Christ, as he always does, this slave, Onesimus, comes to Christ. What an astounding providence. And he starts to tell his story to Paul. And he says, you know, I used to, you might know this guy, Philemon. I used to work for him in Colossae. And Paul's like, hold on, you ran away. That's not cool. That's thievery. You've got to go back. But you're gifted for ministry, Paul says to Onesimus. You're gifted for ministry, so I want you to come back and serve me. But that's not your call to make. You need to go back, Onesimus. You need to be reconciled to Philemon because you stole from him. And you need to go back, be reconciled to him, and hopefully he'll let you go. And you see, Paul does, has some interesting persuasive tactics throughout his letter to Philemon to say, like, hey, you should really bring this, let this servant come back and, and help me out in this ministry. But, but the, this letter isn't just an appeal that, Paul, or that Philemon should forgive Onesimus and let Onesimus go back to serve with Paul. It's also a profound look at what life in the early church was even like. And here, in verse 6, we see as Paul's praying, he starts to pray for Philemon's fellowship with the church. So verse 6, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. So he prays for the sharing of your faith. And when we say the phrase, sharing your faith, we're typically talking about evangelism. And that's not what's in view here. What he's talking about here is a sharing of your faith, not broadcasting it to someone else, but sharing it together. As in the faith that you and I share. As in if we were to sit down at a table and share a pie, we would eat it together. We would eat it together. And that's what Paul's talking about when he says the sharing of your faith. This word sharing of your faith, almost everywhere else in the New Testament is translated as fellowship or community. So Paul is praying for the sharing of Philemon's faith. And it's not just a general sharing. It's not just a general baseless community. Our fellowship has a grounds. It has a foundation. And that foundation is the sharing of your faith. Of your faith. It's the personal trust in Christ that we all share. That's the foundation of our community. That's the grounds of our gathering. That's the grounds of our fellowship. So why do we have faith in Christ? Because he's the Son of God who lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, died to pay for our sins, and rose victoriously from the grave Christ did that. 
And he's still alive today, so you can trust in him today. And that's why we have faith in Christ. Because he is still alive today and because he is the only Savior. He is the only God. He's the only one worthy of our worship. And so we have faith in him. We trust him. How do we have this faith? What does it mean to have this faith that we share? It means that we've personally responded to this good news about Christ in faith and repentance. So we've trusted in Christ. We believe that he is the only way that we can have fellowship with God, that we can have community with God, that we can be friends with God and not cast away from his presence because of our sin and rebellion and repentance, turning away from our sin towards God. To say, sin used to be my king and now Christ is. I'm repenting, I'm turning around. And what happens when we have this faith? It's not just to make you feel better or to give you a better philosophical underpinning for your life. The purpose of this faith is resurrection. God, through your faith, raises you to life. So Paul wrote this letter to Philemon, and at the same time, he also wrote another letter to the entire church at Colossae. And so these letters are very closely related, the letters to the Colossians and the letter to Philemon. And in Colossians 2.12, he describes, Paul describes the impact of our faith. You were also raised with him, with Christ, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. We have faith in Christ, and as a result, we're raised to life. And we're raised to life, not on our own, but into a community. We're born again, not as orphans, but as brothers and sisters. So Paul doesn't just pray for Philemon's faith. He prays for the sharing of that faith. He prays that this community would share in this faith together. And the reason that we're able to have fellowship, the reason that we're able to gather, the reason that we're able to have community in the church is because we have faith. We can share in fellowship with one another regardless of how great the differences are between us. If you look around this room, there are people with different kinds of jobs, different skin colors, different nations of origin, different family structures, different stages of life, different political ideologies and preferences. But no matter how big the differences are between us, what unifies us is so much bigger. And that's the resurrection life that Christ himself has given us. Faith leads to fellowship. Friends, you have more in common with a Christian who disagrees with you politically than with an atheist who's in your party. Because you have resurrection life. So how do we actually do that? How do we share in faith with people that look and vote and think differently than we do? First, we have to really believe that Christians are free to disagree about some things. And we have to remember that we're united by a common faith, the sharing of your faith, Paul writes to Philemon, and we're also united by a common mission. Christ hasn't just left us to you know, hang out at 
Chick-fil-A all day and feel good about ourselves. Christ has commissioned us on a mission to make disciples of all nations. And we're unified in that mission. We work together in that mission. So we can disagree about secondary things, about things that will only impact a country that won't be here in 64 trillion years. And we need to prioritize caring for other people over convincing other people. That's hard in a city like this, where everybody has really strong convictions and strong opinions and and wants to convince other people. People in our city, people in our church are very winsome and very convincing and very good speakers and very good teachers. But it's more important that we care for one another than we work to convince one another. The brothers and sisters in your church, if you're a member of this church, the brothers and sisters that we gather with, that we have covenanted together with, are more important than your party. They are. Believe that, friends. So in light of that, pursue fellowship with people that look differently than you, think differently than you, are in a different season or stage of life than you. Because what unites us is so much bigger than what divides us. We share not a common ideology, but a faith in a resurrected Christ. And some of you are here today, and you're not a part of this family. You don't have this faith. You haven't experienced the resurrection life. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. If you stood before God, he would, he would judge you for your sins, because your sins have not yet been put onto Christ. So friends, my invitation to you is enter into this family, a family that is bigger than any other cause you could ever give your life to, a family that's bigger than any branch of the military, any political party, any career path, any think tank, any foundation, any job, any city, any nation. Our faith is bigger than that. That's what we share in. And the reason our faith is bigger than that is because Christ is bigger than that. Christ is more glorious than the president. He's more powerful than any party. He will always have his sway and he will always establish his rule. He will always sit on the throne no matter which way the elections go. Christ is glorious, friends. So enter into his family. Don't run away from him anymore. Find life in him because he is glorious and we are not. If you want to find life, come to Christ because he raises us up. You don't get in by being good enough by being ideologically aligned enough. You don't get in by saying the right things. You get in by trusting Christ. And that, friends, is the grounds of our fellowship. So why do we gather together? Why does it matter? Christ has saved us. This is good. We just keep going on our own, right? Wrong. Our fellowship has a goal. Christians have fellowship with one another in order to help one another know and do God's will. So Paul says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. Now that word effective means that our fellowship, our community sharing has a goal. It has a desired outcome. There's a purpose to it. Fellowship is not an end to itself. Fellowship is not just hanging out with other Christians. There's a desired outcome that's supposed to be produced. And so what is that goal? I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge 
of every good thing that is in us. So Paul is praying that Philemon would know every good thing that God has given to him. So God has an astounding plan for your life. He has good works laid out in front of you. Consider Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has good works laid out for you to do, friends. And we can't do these good works if we don't know what they are. And so Paul, Paul prays for Philemon, and he prays that that fellowship would become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us. This is not just knowing as in a mental cognition. It's not just saying, make sure you have all the facts about God's plan for your life and about the good works he's laid out for you. Typically in the Bible, the word know refers to experiential knowledge. So when Paul says, I pray that you would know every good work that is in you for the sake of Christ, it's similar to someone saying, I know what it's like to suffer. When somebody says that, they're not saying, I've collected all the facts about suffering, read a few books about it, written a few papers about it. I understand what suffering is. I have a definition for it. No, there's more at play. It's not just collecting all the facts. If you say something like that, I know what it's like to suffer. You're not saying you've collected all the facts. You're saying that you've experienced it. And I think that's what's in view here, that that the fellowship, the sharing of your faith would be effective for the full knowledge, the full experiential knowledge of every good thing that is in us. So Paul is praying that Philemon would know God's will and do God's will. Consider again the book of Colossians, the companion letter to Philemon. Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes, And so we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So as. So why do you have this knowledge of every good work? Not just so that you would have it and like sit it in your brain and be like, all right, I'll pass the quiz at the end of the week. No, so that you'd be able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Paul prays that the sharing of your faith would be effective for the knowledge of every good thing that is in us, for the doing of every good thing that is in us. So our faith leads to fellowship, and our fellowship leads to good works. And friends, this is why... It's never enough to just be a lone ranger Christian. It's never enough to just float out on your own and be alone. And a lot of people prioritize like me and Jesus time at the expense of the community. And yes, it's crucial that you have an individual and a personal faith in Christ. That's the foundation of all of this. But we can never pursue that at the expense of our community. Why? Because God has a plan for you to benefit from the community. It's not just for us to hang out together, but we have a goal to help one another grow. 
God's plan is for you to grow. And that happens in the context of community. It's like if you were a plant, community is the soil that God plants you in because that's where you will blossom and produce good works. When we moved to D.C. a few years ago, my wife has a lot of plants. She grows plants. She's got an extremely green thumb. And when we moved to D.C., I was somehow responsible for packing all the plants. So I put the plants in our Honda Pilot in a box, drove the whole way to D.C., looking at these plants. We unpack everything, and I left the plants in the front seat. Whoops. And they were there for a couple weeks, and my wife says, where, where did all the plants go? Did we leave those? Did we bring them with us? And I was like, oh, they're in the, they're in the SUV. And they were, they were like pitiful. They had been in a hot car for like, we hadn't driven it or anything. It's just been, they'd just been sitting there for weeks, probably months, I don't remember. Maybe we had to wait for COVID to come around and be like, where are all the plants? Like, uh, that was not a good environment for plants to grow in. They all died. My wife, testimony to her green thumb is she was able to revive all of them. But yeah, she's amazing. Go to her gardening tips. Uh, but that was not a good environment for plants to grow in, regardless of the outcome. And being a Christian on your own exclusively is not a good environment. You're like a plant stuck in a hot SUV in the middle of summer. You're not going to grow. You're going to die and wither. So friends, don't be alone. Your fellowship, our fellowship together, our community together has a goal. It, it has a desired outcome. It needs to be effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us. So we don't do these good things in us to earn God's love. Rather, God loves us, and then he places us in a community where we can do these things that will bring him glory and bring us joy. And that leads us to our final point, the glory of fellowship. So the good works that we do as a result of our fellowship ultimately resound in the glory of the risen Lord Jesus among all nations. His name gets more fame. His name gets more honor from our lives as a result of our gathering together. So Paul ends it all. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So ultimately, the ultimate end to which we gather is the glory of Christ. And when we say for the sake of Christ, we don't mean that he needs us, but rather that he uses us to accomplish his purposes. He uses us to accomplish his mission. We're working together for Christ's glory. And what is that? What do we mean when we say Christ's glory? God's glory, Christ's glory, is both something that he is and something that he receives. So he's glorious and we bring him glory. He is praiseworthy and we bring him praise. So when we say we're working for God's glory, we're working for Christ's glory. We're not bringing him something that he doesn't already have. We're just describing what is already true of him. 
We're increasing the fame of his name because he is beautiful and glorious. We're describing, bringing glory to Christ is describing what is already true about him. He is glorious and making it known around the world. So friends, we come together for the sake of Christ, for a higher purpose. We are bringing glory to Christ. Have you ever had a completely pointless task at work? I I worked a job one time when I was in college, and they told me, we need you to scan all the files and make them digital. And so I was scanning files from like 10 years ago that no one was ever going to look at ever again. I can promise you that. It was a pointless task. It was an end to itself. They were like, oh, we need Doug to do something. Let's just make him scan stuff. It was pointless. Not so with fellowship. Fellowship is not an end to itself. This is a mission-focused task for us to gather together, for us to have community. It's a mission-focused task. It does have a higher purpose. The glory of Christ. So think again about the progression. Faith leads to fellowship. Fellowship leads to good works. And good works lead to the glory of the risen Christ. Christians help one another follow Christ. We help one another accomplish the mission. We help one another root out sin in our lives that robs God of glory. Because our sin is rebellion. Our sin is an affront to a holy God. We've got to deal with it, friends. Or God's glory is going to be robbed from our lives. Christians help one another follow Christ. And what that means is that God has designed the church and God has gathered the church for the glory of his name. We are not here, friends, to make ourselves more comfortable. We are here for the glory of Christ. That's why we exist, not just as a church, as individuals. And so we come together to multiply that work. God has designed the church and assembled the church for the glory of his name. Friends, expect more from others. Because when we have fellowship together, it's not just hanging out. It is God's plan for his name to spread through every nation, through all of the earth. That's what God's doing when we gather together. That's what God is doing when you have someone in your home. That's what God is doing when you have a discipleship meetup. That's what God is doing when you encourage someone. That's what God's doing when you send an encouraging text message to someone in our church. He is working for his glory, for the glory of his risen son among every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's amazing, friends. And so let's pursue this kind of fellowship. Paul is praying that Philemon's fellowship would be effective to produce every good work that God has planned for the glory of Christ. And I am praying today that our fellowship, our community, would be effective, would bring about in us every good work that God has planned for us for the glory of the risen Christ. So how do we actually do that? What does it look like for our fellowship to look like this? I want to give you two action steps, two things that you could take home 
to do this week. If you want this kind of miraculous, astounding, glory-producing fellowship in your life, this is how. Two steps. First, actually be around other people. We need to prioritize time with our church family because it's not enough to be a Lone Ranger Christian. So do what someone else likes to do, like hobbies. Be willing to spend time with people doing something that you don't particularly enjoy. When I, was in, I became a Christian in high school, and when I became a Christian, I was like, I need to have brothers around me. I need to have sisters around me. I need to have godly Christian friends who can help me do this, who can help me grow. And I didn't have any. And, and so there was a guy at my church, and his name was Mike, and I just said, Mike, you're my best friend now, and we're going to hang out. And I would literally go to his house and watch him play video games. I didn't like video games. I wasn't good at video games. I just watched him play video games, and we talked about God. It was awesome. Be willing to do that. Do something that you don't particularly enjoy. Eat with other people in our church family. Do errands with other people in our church family. If you need to go get an oil change or whatever, don't do it alone. Bring somebody along with you. Say, hey, I'm going to be sitting in the car for an hour and a half. You want to come with me? Don't do your hobbies alone. Whatever it is that you like to do, find someone else who can do it with you. It's really, 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 really great that a lot of you are living together now. That's really great. God's going to do some astounding things for the glory of his name among all nations because you've chosen roommates. That's incredible. Be flexible so that you're able to be around people. Don't be so strict on when you have to go to bed. Don't let your schedule or plans take over your life. Actually be around people. If you want to have this kind of fellowship, if you want Christians to help one another follow Christ in your life, it starts by actually being around other people. And then also, number two, expect more when you're around people. Specifically, expect to minister to people and expect to be ministered to. Speak God's word to others, friends. Last week, I gave you a specific challenge. In three conversations this week, bring up God's word with someone in our church. Just bring it up. Even if it's just, I read this this morning. What do you think of that? Keep doing that, friends. Keep doing that. Because God's plan for fellowship is that it would produce the glory of Christ in our lives and to the ends of the earth. That's not going to happen if we don't speak God's word to each other. And, And humbly hear God's word from other people. So don't just speak God's word, hear it, receive it from other people. Ask for counsel, ask for advice from other people. Ask for God's word from other people. Go to someone in our church sometime in the next few weeks and say, friend, I am dealing with this decision. What do you think God's word would lead me to do? Will you pray for me in this? And friends, that means that you, members of Pillar D.C., our counselors, every one of you, you are able to bring God's word to bear on the issues that we face in this life. Because you're a Christian and because you have the word of God, you have the resources that you need. Confess sin to one another, friends. Because our fellowship has a goal to produce these good works. And so if everybody thinks that you're amazing 
and super godly, and you're living some secret sin out in the privacy of your own home, you are robbing yourself. Friends, it doesn't matter if people think you're impressive. Because God wants to use these people in your life to drag your sin out of your life, to purify you, to help you, because he's a gracious helper. Ask mission-focused questions with other people in our church. So don't just say like, "Ah, what'd you do this week? How was work this week? But ask, who'd you share your faith with this week? A few weeks ago, we, we, gave out, we gave everybody No Jesus books that walk through 15 passages in the Gospel of Mark. It's a Bible study designed for you and a non-Christian that you know. If you haven't taken those yet, take two on your way out. One for you, one for a non-Christian friend. And ask somebody to do that with you this week. And ask people, members of Pillar DC, ask one another, hey, who are you doing the No Jesus books with? Because that's a great resource that's leading to some incredible conversations. Ask people to pray for you. Ask people to pray for you. And if you want to do that, if you want to pray with others and be prayed for, come to Second Sunday Prayer tonight at 5.30, right here. And we'll do that. We'll pray for one another. Like, why wouldn't you come to Second Sunday Prayer tonight? Someone is going to intercede for you before the Almighty God who created the heavens and the earth. That's crazy, friends. Why wouldn't, we, why wouldn't we prioritize that? Why wouldn't we want people to pray for us? I don't want, I don't want people to think that I'm needy. You are needy. We need help. We need prayer. I don't want people to think that I'm sinful. You are sinful. Come and get prayer. We are weak. We are needy. Friends, expect more from others. Expect that our community that we share will produce this, will be effective for the glory of Christ in our city and in our lives and to the ends of the earth. I'm going to invite the music team to come back up. And as we close, I just want to remind you all that we are sick with sin. And God God, the great physician, has given you a life-saving antibiotic that will destroy every infection in your heart, and it is the church. It's fellowship. So expect more from others. Dive deep into this community and see the astounding things that God will do as we drive out sin in one another, as we help one another accomplish the mission that God has laid out for us. Friends, our Christ is glorious, and he is gracious, and he calls us to himself. He invites us to do these good works, not to earn his love, but because it's already been fully earned in Christ. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your beautiful, wonderful design for the church. We pray that it would bear great fruit in our lives. God, we pray, I pray, God, for every member of Pillar DC, that the sharing of our faith together would be effective, 
would bring about these good works that you have laid out for us. And that as a result of our community, your risen Son would receive glory in our city and to the ends of the earth. It's for your name we pray.